the Sober Experiment podcast by Be Sober with Alex and Lisa. Season three is sponsored by IPHM, an accreditation board for holistic therapists and training providers around the world. I'm Alex, one half of the Sober Experiment. And I'm Lisa, the other half. Good morning, BFF. Good morning, Alex. You're looking very beautiful today. Thank you very much. I feel disgusting. I've not changed from our morning workout. Yeah, but you smashed the morning workout, didn't you? Don't it yeah. feel good? Like getting in that get fit class and then getting showered and ready and having like a full day before the day. You know what made me emotional? Because honestly, I don't know what's up with me this week. I keep like proper nearly crying. Like, you know, when we How did the workout <laughs> this morning. Yeah, probably. <laughs> when we did the workout this morning, I was just watching us all, right? And then we were doing the warm down stretches and I just felt this overwhelming emotion for everybody <laughs> in the Zoom room thinking, what a beautiful thing to do. Like, getting up. <laughs> feeling really good about yourself like honestly at times I would come in at half past six in the morning and now we're getting up to do this workout and it like sets you up for the day like we proper laugh encourage each other motivate motivate each other like we spend that time with people that you wouldn't normally spend time with and yeah. find so much in common and I know that sounds really dramatic for a morning workout right but that is how I felt this morning it was so beautiful <laughs> oh my god she's getting like she's going soft in her old age you know what's um do you remember the other week when I had a twitchy lip oh so yeah I was on a live and I had a twitchy lip and it's gone I've never had it since but I've got a twitchy eye today which I know does mean That's tiredness tiredness right but my twitchy oh. eye it started today and then I thought like why am I tired and then I've just realized why I'm tired I've done seven weeks of NACOA volunteer training. Yeah. I've done move my coaching at the same time. I've been coaching in the support group on the evenings. We're doing yeah. loads of podcasts. We've just written, da, 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 you ready? A brand new Be Sober, fully accredited diploma. Worldwide. So worldwide. Worldwide, yes. So that you can actually train to be a Be Sober coach and come on board with us. There's no insurable. wonder we're tired and fully insurable. Yeah. yeah, fullyinsurable.com, what it's say. <laughs> but we've done a lot, haven't we? Yeah, so much. There's so much going on. There's so much more to come, which is really exciting. Yeah, we've got loads of um, exciting stuff lined up. We've just got, it, oh God, life's so good right now, which is so lovely to say. Like, I don't want to feel like, oh my God, life's so good, a bit smug about it, right? But sometimes my life has been so shit, so I am going to feel a bit smug about it today. Is that all right? Like, not smug. smug. I'm not smug as in like, oh, my life's good. Ha, ha, to, to you. Either. Yeah, smug I mean, as in you've got it. I mean, like, great I'm just grateful smug's the wrong word what a horrible word that is I'm never using that again Please well you don't, don't have to be smug that. but I am <laughs> oh, great. I'm just grateful really yeah, grateful I am. and we've just recorded the most wonderful podcast like neither of us really knew what to expect it's Laura Cook Bolts and Tommy Bolts the mother and son and they've written a book called Unraveled which we are definitely going to get reviewed in the book club they yeah. are the loveliest people it wasn't it a really lovely podcast I nearly cried I, I did I, it was just so it was so lovely and I think they did a really good job of not telling us all the juice even though I wanted the juicy bits for our podcast yeah but like it makes you really want to go and read like what really happened in the book but it was for me personally massively relatable um more than I'd, I'd Care to admit. Yeah, Yeah, massively relatable. And I just think it's so brave and inspiring to see a mother and son both in recovery and sober. Hi, Laura and Tom. How are you both today? Good, good. Thank you for having us. We're really excited about this because it's the first time we've done, we've done like four-way podcasts before, but it's the first time we have ever done a podcast of this nature where it's mother and son, two recovery journeys. It's like, we have no idea what to expect. We've got a copy of the book, but we're ready to start the book. We've saved it as a big surprise. Been reading some reviews about the book, which is unraveled and written by both of you from two perspectives. It's so original, like... Amazing. Well done. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. It yeah, was well, it was a piece of cake. 
<laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> I'm not sure who we start with, really. I guess, really, your your story came out, Laura, from what I can gather from the book, because of dealing with Tom's story, that's where your kind of journey became more relevant again through Tom's story. And am I right in saying, Tom, that your journey starts at around the age of 13? Yeah, that's about right. I would say so. Yeah. And then, and then obviously, Laura, you'd previously battled with addiction yourself. So Correct. I, I'm not going to tell this story because honestly, I, I'm just going to hand it over. T- tell us your story between you, whoever wants to go first. You go for it. Oh, would you like me to go first? Go for it. Or, oh, okay. <laughs> all right. Hi, everybody. Um, all right. Where do I start? So I don't want to get too into depth about my family of origin, but I, I did grow up with an alcoholic mother who eventually ended up in recovery. And uh, she was an amazing woman. And uh, I always told myself, I will never be that person. I mean, I want to, I, I love my mother, but I will never be an alcoholic ever. I'm not going to do that. And uh, it just uh, goes to show you that you that one does not have control over this disease or demise. Um, And I was a uh, life of the party type person growing up. I partied. I had in college. Somehow I survived and made it through undergraduate in four years, and which was amazing considering how much fun I had. I still felt like. Deep in my gut, I knew I didn't drink the same way everybody else drank. Yeah. But there's always that that big piece of denial in there that allows you to keep going. Um, I'm going to fast forward because uh, this book is really not so much about my journey as an alcoholic, but more so about Tommy's and, and my um, involvement as a sober parent and what led to that and, and sort of um, what the solutions were, but I did live in New York city for, for three years, went to graduate school. I made it through that. I don't know how I did it. Um, I experimented with every drug known to man. I drank a lot. uh, Drinking alcohol was my drug of choice. Um, although I was involved in a lot of cocaine use, I, I just, for me, it, it just, uh, it wasn't my favorite. Uh, after a time. And uh, I just stopped doing it. I, I was more uh, enamored with with a bottle of wine or two. <laughs> so to fast forward, uh, I met my husband. Um, for some reason, I still enjoyed wine. It seemed like my my active addiction was in somewhat of a dormant phase. I got married to my husband after after dating him for a year and a half. I got married. I had children pretty right away. I had Tommy a year after I, I was married, after we were married. And I just, I didn't drink during my pregnancies. Not that I'm, that's, wow, aren't you amazing? It's just, it didn't appeal to me. I had three children very quickly. Um, and to, to fast forward, I think that by the time my youngest son, who was born six years later, um, after he was born, about two years after that, I really found myself sinking deep into my my addiction. And by that, I mean, you know, I'd have bottles of wine open in the kitchen, bottles of wine open in the in the bar area of our house. I um, I didn't hide it, but yet that was my way of hiding it. I mean, I didn't hide the bottles. I just would start with one in the kitchen with dinner. I'd, I'd go to the one in the bar just so it would look like I didn't drink a whole bottle. Yeah, it's like hidden in plain sight, that, isn't it? Like, yeah. if they're all yes. open everywhere, I can just dip into any of them when I want to do. Exactly. And, oh, wasn't I so clever and nobody knew? That was pretty <laughs> clever, actually. <Lord. laughs> oh, my gosh. So, um, I just I just knew, you know, in an evening before we, my husband and I would go out, I would have trouble looking at myself in the mirror. I would see myself and I'd have to have this conversation. Don't drink too much tonight. Don't drink too much tonight. And inevitably, if if I had a drink, it wasn't one. It was more like five or six. Um, ultimately, I was buzzed. And, and that pattern um, just increased 
it just increased. And so I think that was in about 2002 and 2008, I got sober. So um, for me, um, there was just kind of an emptiness that there was uh, a little bit of um, a lot of dysfunction in my family growing up. And I, I'm sure there were many reasons why I drank. um, But I think to fill a void, a hole, an emptiness, a loneliness, something I never really resolved, even after years and years of therapy from growing up in a a family with alcoholics. um, It's very difficult to get psychological help when you're an active drinker. That doesn't work. I, I mean, to the degree that I was drinking. And it wasn't until I got sober that I really started doing the work I needed to do. Um, And, you know, alcoholism is such a terrible thing because I look at my children. I look at my husband, who's an amazing man. I love my children so much. Yet that why why would I continue on this this pattern of destruction? It's I could not control it. It controlled me. And um, it, it was just a very, very sick uh, headspace to be in. And, uh, I didn't want to be that person. I never wanted to be that person. I wanted to be, um, at peace. I didn't want to be so conflicted. Um, on the outside, I probably looked pretty good during the day. Yeah. 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 You know, you have the perfect house, but, you know, it always had to be tidy and clean because I could control that. My kids were tidy and clean and aren't they perfect children? And, and, um, you know, Can I, I just say, I love that. Tom's face right now. Look, he sat there thinking, yeah, I was perfect. <laughs> so, um, you know, it, it just was, it was, it, that's a, that's sort of a, um, just a basic story that I have, but there are um, things that happened um, even in my sobriety where I, I had to learn to let go of control and, um, things always needing to be perfect. So I would look perfect. And one of my favorite stories with Tommy and I was sober, I'm pretty sure. Um, I, he and I were in a, in, in a discussion. I was upset with him for something and I got, I, I left the house to go run an errand and I came back and he had rearranged furniture, pulled drawers out, moved all my perfect arrangement on top tops of dressers and I got home and I started to get mad at him for doing that. And I actually had this reality check that, Oh my God, I'm such a control freak. I really need to do some more work. And, and I got to understand what that all means. Um, But he was, he was a very clever kid in terms of Tommy. He was just born into this world, a happy guy. He was one of those babies that, laughed a lot and he was a little stinker when he could walk and he was fun and funny and we laughed together. I mean, we just, um, he was a great, great little, little boy. Um, so when he, when he started experiencing problems in, um, elementary school with bullying, it, it, broke his heart but it broke my heart oh it's broke mine that, now i've just got like little goosebumps that's so sad so that that he can tell his own story but that was the beginning i think of some um you know trauma has many forms that was the beginning of some pretty serious trauma i mean he was physically uh abused and emotionally abused in a catholic boys school and um my husband and I did the right thing. Eventually we took him out and, and all these details are in the, in the book. But I think, um, you know, Tommy can speak to what that did for him emotionally and, and um, how that may have led him into other things in his life that were destructive. But um, the journey of getting sober for me, I, I, the bottom line on 2008 was I had a car accident the night prior to never drinking again. And when I woke up and the car was totaled in my driveway and I, I really couldn't remember who drove my car. I thought, which kid took my car out for a joy ride? You know, and I, and I said, Oh my God, eventually it sort of came back to me. I crashed my car and, and, and my car, there's something called OnStar where they talk to you and they say, Oh, Mrs. Bolt, are you okay? And I thought, uh, that's so they can send you help. They get an activated uh, message when your airbag employs. And I, I uh, 
I said, oh, God, no, because certainly I'll go to jail because I had had too much to drink. So I said, no, I'm fine. And I remember driving the car home. Um, I can't tell you exactly where the accident was. They gave me a longitude and a latitude, but I, when I asked them, but I, I really don't remember the act of the accident so much as I remember, um, you know, just kind of awakening to this big, huge bag over my face, this airbag and somehow getting my car home, um, and parking it in the driveway. So the next morning when I saw the car, I honest to God, I thought I was so much trouble. Did I kill somebody? What is it going to take for me to stop drinking? I have a family. I have people that that care about me that I love. I could have killed someone. And uh, thank God I didn't. And thank God I I didn't kill myself. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it was um, it was a true epiphany for me. I really felt like my you know, you can call it whatever you want. God, your higher power was talking to me and in loving kindness and just saying, this is, this is enough. You know, you can do this. And, um, somehow the fear of not drinking anymore lifted. Um, when you contemplate stopping drinking, you're, you're fearful of many things. What's my life going to be? Who are my friends going to be? Am I going to be fun? Um, am I going to be embarrassed? Because now all of a sudden the cat's out of the bag when I quit drinking. They're going, oh, you quit drinking. Why did you quit drinking? Well, what a joke. I mean, it's like somebody asking me early on in sobriety, how are you doing? And I thought, geez, why didn't you ask me that like a year ago when I was drunk off my ass? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, it was a huge relief to me. And I haven't had a drink um, since that time. And then I entered almost immediately within a day or two, a program of recovery. That's amazing. And, and I, I can't say that it was me um, that did that. I really feel like there was divine intervention and I heard it. Yeah. I was ready to hear it. And I, I you know, I was caught. I, um, and my husband during this process was very loving and kind. He um, realized there was a problem he grew up in a family um, where it was a, a conversation. His father was in um, uh, started a rehab facility in St. Louis, Missouri, with a couple of other partners, and so that was not an unfamiliar disease demise to him. And he was gentle and kind, and that was. Wow, that that really it helped me a lot, and it also really made me more introspective um, because there was a time when he brought up my drinking to me, and um, that really hit me. It was about six months before I I quit drinking, and he just said to me, "Do you think the the effects of alcohol are, are hitting you harder? Do you feel like you're drinking more?" He said, "I'm just really worried." And I sobbed and sobbed because he was so right. And of course, I had to go out and do six more months of dangerous field work. Yeah. Because, you know, in that loving kindness was not enough for me to stop. I mean, what a crazy mind in my addicted mind I was. And um, but here I am today. And I I was so grateful and am so grateful that I I was sober when Tommy was going through um, a lot of his own um, issues and, um, and, and I just, uh, I wanted to be there for him in the healthiest way that I could. We had a lot of chaos going on at the time. Uh, Tommy was making dinner for the kids. My mother was in a care facility with dementia and my stepfather was living with me, uh, not bedridden, but, but deathly ill. Yeah. And, um, he lived with us for a year and a half, which I'm so, so happy about. Um, and my kids learned what it was like to take care of each other. But this was right at the time when Tommy was getting into his deep addiction. I don't know which way was right, which way was left. Sick mom, sick, sick dad, yeah. um, a son that needed me, um, that needed, needed more direction. Um, three other kids that sort of raised themselves at some point. You know, I just kind of had to put them over to the side and just really hone in on Tommy which is not always the answer. Okay. Um, And I needed help during that time. So I sought help from an amazing therapist to help me 
be the best parent I could be for Tommy and also take care of me, which resulted in, in a better situation for the family. In the middle of all that, um, I had a stepmother who um, committed suicide, oh. took her life. And so we we all as a family really worked together. And, and Tommy made a lot of contributions to helping out. As I said, he would make everybody dinner, you know. But little did I know at the time he was high as a kite. And uh, and here we are today, both in recovery, and we can share this with people. The main objective of writing our book, Unraveled, um, is that we can share our experience. Um, it's mostly Tommy's story. I'm sort of a supporting actress in it. Um, but to show that that I always feel that if I could get sober, anybody could get sober. And I think yeah. Tommy says, says the same thing in the book. So his story is one of great courage and uh, there is hope. There is a solution and there are people there. We're out there to help whoever we can um, because we understand it. And, and I understand it being um, the child of an alcoholic, the mother of an addict and yeah. one myself. It's multidimensional. Um, it usually is, isn't it? I mean, like trauma runs in families, addiction can run in families. You know, I, I come from the similar sort of background, which our, our listeners know that my father was self-proclaimed alcoholic, but an amazing man. And I had the same thing as you. I will never be that bad. I will never be that drinker. I will never get to that point. You know, it's it's there, there's, there's quite a, a lot of parallels there. I did become not as bad, different a different type of drinker through different reasons. And I guess that's, do you remember 2008 clearly, Tommy, then? Do you remember, I've got a call Tommy then, Tom. No, you do, Tom. I just want to say thank you so much, Laura, for that. So honest. I'm really anxious about listening to you, Tom, and what you've got to say in a minute, because this story is so much more relatable than I ever imagined, and it's already making me really emotional. Um for myself, one of the big reasons I stopped drinking was for my youngest child, um, who was 13, who was going for, through a really, really bad time. And at the same time as that, I had um, my son was going through an equally bad time. And when you were saying you didn't know whether who to focus on or... Um, so I'm just dead anxious to talk to you. I'm really looking forward to it, but I'm really worried I might cry. So <laughs> it don't matter if you cry. Let's do it. <laughs> <clears throat> well, I want to make sure that I don't give too much away of the, of the book. But, yeah. Um, you know, I would say, I, you know, I had a good, a really good childhood in, um, until that point and I had friends, really good friends, um, that I've been going to school with for years. And it was time for me to, to move on to another school. And when that happened, that's when the, the bullying, um, started. And I don't, didn't know what I was doing wrong. I thought I was, you know, I was being the same guy that I was the same, you know, boy that I was before. And I didn't understand why, um, I was getting, um, you know, chosen to be that guy, you know? Um, so it was really tough. You know, it was, uh, I tried my best to make friends. It just wasn't working. And, um, I would have a really hard time on Sunday nights. Um, you know, Friday would roll around. I'd be out of school and the weekend would be like my, like relaxation time where I could just like not worry about any of that at all and just be myself. And Sunday would roll around and <clears throat> I would just be terrified to go to school the next morning. Like I just wanted to fake sick or, or not go. And, um, there are a lot of times when my mom had to come to my room and just, sit with me until I fell asleep. Um, you know, there was one time that was really bad. You'll read about this in the book um, where I was just in pretty bad shape um, on a Sunday night and she ended up giving me a, um, 
I don't know what it was. I'm, it was a, a Valium and yes, <clears throat> I didn't have any fears. It did what it was supposed to do, you know, and I fell asleep and woke up the next morning and went to school, but that comes into play later on. Um, but I think I, I, you know, it was the bullying started to get a little bit worse. It started to get physical. Um, you know, I started to get shoved into to lockers and stuff. And I don't think that that's, you know, um, any reason why I started, you know, drinking or, or using drugs. You know, I don't think that that's the, the cause of it. Um, but I, it got to the point where I ended up switching schools and I found a group of people who I like to hang out with there, like almost instantly. And, um, when it came to be the point in time when people were experiencing with alcohol and, and drugs and I was in, and I was in that group that we like to do that stuff a lot. Yeah. Started doing it a lot. Um, at first there weren't any consequences. Um, it was fun. It was on the weekends. It was, uh, with friends. Once I started to get into, um, I think it was probably the transition from middle school to high school. So eighth grade and to, to ninth grade that summer, um, I started smoking a lot of weed and, um, doing a lot of drinking. So it started kick, it, it sort of kicked off there, um, to an extent. Um, I was on the tennis team. I got kicked off the tennis team, um, because I wanted to leave and smoke weed. <laughs> and I, I finished my tennis match. And I was like, well, I don't have to wait here for everybody else to finish. I'm just going to go do my thing. And the coach didn't like that too much. <laughs> um, so he asked me to leave the team. And I think he asked me to come back a couple of days later, but I was like, oh, I'm done. I don't even want to play. Anymore. Uh, um, you know, I, I that was, you know, that period of time was probably like the first time when I thought maybe there wasn't something wrong with me, you know, before it was like, like, oh, there's something wrong with me. Like, I'm not like other kids. <clears throat> I feel like I'm like a step behind. Like I'm always getting the jokes last or I'm always, you know, yeah. figuring stuff out last. Um, so at this point in my life in, in high school, I didn't really feel like that. I felt like I was, you know, on top of everything. And <clears throat> in that case, and, um, how did you feel like you fit? I think at that age, I can relate to that. I always felt like I didn't really fit in and the drinking and smoking weed with my mates. It, it gives you that kind of, it's like a comfort blanket, isn't it? Like yeah. you're suddenly like in this place where you're all on the same page and you're like, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. We're all coming together, doing the same thing. Yeah. You know, this is what, this is what life is, <laughs> you know? See, we laughed, but at the time, that is it. You do think this is what life is. This is yeah. it. I've made it. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I had that feeling a couple times in, in, in my in my using career. Um, but yeah, I, I, once that the tennis team stuff happened, and I started skipping class, I started experimenting with other drugs. Um, I barely made it to graduation. I mean, I, I had to go to an alternative school, um, to catch up and, um, graduate with my class. And I started getting in a lot of fights. Um, they started at, at, um, at parties normally. Um, I got in a couple at school. Um, I'd say after graduation of high school, it just, everything just took off. I mean, it was like free reign. Um, started doing, getting into, you know, cocaine and, and Xanax and painkillers and painkillers were terrible at the moment. I loved them, you know, because that, those were the, the, I'd say those were what really made me, um, not feel how I didn't want to feel. 
And it's really filling me with like a lot of sadness hearing you because people don't relate the fact that painkillers take away physical pain. But actually that feeling of drifting off with a painkiller, it's going to blot out all that emotional pain as well. And it's just, I can really feel it from you. I can, it's, it's strange how much I can feel that from you. Yeah. it's You was blotting out pain. Yes. I was just taking it, taking it all away, wherever it was coming from. I didn't really have the knowledge or the want to figure out exactly what it was. So I just... Yeah was covering it up and um, it did its job. You know, alcohol did the same thing for me, mm. but I didn't necessarily want to look like an alcoholic. I didn't want to have, you know, I didn't want to drink all day long. You know? <laughs> Why not? Yeah. Like, I don't want to look like, a, I don't want to look like I have a problem here. <laughs> so, um, so that was like my go-to, you know, alcohol was like the nights and the weekends and stuff like that. Um, but at this point it was like an everyday, you know, it was everyday, all day occurrence. I had to be on something. Um, otherwise I was, you know, not, not loving life at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, you know, some more serious things started to happen. I, I, uh, wrecked my car. I, um, I was arrested. Uh, you know, I, I totaled my motorcycle and ended up in the emergency room. And, uh, that was kind of, a uh, a, a kick in the butt. I, it, it was, it, it was weird. It was, um, I ended up in there and for some reason I just, blurted out to, I can't remember, you can correct me if I'm wrong, Laura, but it was one of the doctors there that knew grandpa and knew that he had started that facility. And she was asking me, um, you know, give me a reason why I shouldn't hold you here, you know, because you were high and wrecked your motorcycle and I said, and I'm, I meant it too. And I, I said, I'm done with that stuff. Like I'm, I'm done with it. I learned my lesson and I'm pretty sure the very next day I was like abusing my pain meds from the crash. Oh, like it was like, you know, like I, I, I meant it, but then like there was no solution. And so I ended up going back and I went back and forth and did that a bunch of times my mom would help me detox on the couch, uh, outside. And I'd last maybe three days, uh, maybe a week, um, and end up back again and worse. And, um, I, I think a couple of times you brought up that she wanted to send me to uh, a treatment center. And I said, no, 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 I got this on my own. And, um, I tried every which way on, on my own. And it got to the point where it was like, it, I, I had a, a bad, a really bad night on Halloween night. Um, I had had worse probably. Um, but for some reason this was like, this was, this is what really kicked it, kicked it off. And, um, I went through, it's in, it's pretty descriptive in the book, but I, I, I got into a couple fights and ended up, uh, doing some stupid things and, uh, woke up the next morning and my hand was broken again. I did that a couple of times. I was missing, uh, part of my, uh, front tooth. Oh gosh. And, um, I was just like, I, I can't, I can't do this anymore. Like I, I had given up kind of, and I think I, I pretty much surrendered like right there. And, um, I told my mom that I needed help and I was willing to do anything. And, uh, so she said, okay, here's a couple of numbers to call you, figure it out. And, and so I did, and I went, the treatment maybe five days later, 
that was rough because I wanted to be done and I wanted help now. Yeah. And they said, um, we don't have a bed for like five days. And I'm like, oh no. <laughs> so I have to like keep using for five days, even though I don't want to, because I don't want to get sick. Yeah. Yeah. And so like I did like a little bit, like it's like, so I just didn't get sick. It was miserable. Oh, and, uh, and, and then I went to detox and, and got clean and my second journey started. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? That's just like the, it's like the very beginning, yes. isn't it? Stopping is the beginning. The journey comes after, doesn't it? When you actually mentally start to evolve. Yeah, it comes after. And it was, uh, a lot harder than I expected, but, <laughs> um, a lot more fulfilling and uh i definitely am grateful for it every day um that's something that you know is just like uh my drug use you know i gotta do it every day <laughs> you know and i just asked sorry laura how did you feel at that point like when he said that is enough in your as a parent now, and you've helped him detox them few times before, did you know it was going to be different this time, or was it like like what what did you do? Because it's just so hard, isn't it? <laughs> it's so hard. I just he was teaching tennis at the time, so I, I love that you and, went back to tennis. Go on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, was, he or he worked at a tennis facility, and he. Um, was going to community college, but not really, but not really. Okay. But anyway, I, I knocked on his door the day after Halloween, which by the way, both of us had our last drunks in hurrahs on Halloween, wow. which is really weird. Okay. Halloween's a weird thing anyway. I'm pretty sure you crashed your car and I crashed my motorcycle. In this that's thing. right. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. We, uh, probably, yeah, so. Stay in on Halloween. Stay oh, in. <laughs> I was always dressed up as a witch. But anyway, let me let me get to the point here. So I I went in his room that morning and I said, "Wow!" I said, "Don't you have to go to work?" And he kind of rolled over and he was sort of bloody and just oh gosh. And I said, "God, what does the other guy look like?" You know, I thought maybe, you know, he, he did. And you can read about it in the story. He had gotten himself into a, a, a tussle. And I said, why don't you um, take a shower and come on downstairs? And in my gut, I knew that he had hit, a, a un, you know, an uncertain bottom, but it was certain. And I called my husband. I said, come home from work. The iron is hot. I mean, I really felt like this is going to be the time that something's going to affect him where he is really going to want to do something himself. And he came downstairs. And at that point, Tom was, who's my husband, who's also named Tom, um, was in the kitchen. And he said, what is dad doing here? And I said, um, I'm scared. And my husband said, I'm scared. I'm afraid, Tom. I'm, we're both afraid. And I think that's when... He's, I think he made, did you feel relief, Tommy, a little bit? I mean, the cat was so out of the bag and we had yeah, tried. It, was, it was over. It was over it, and we knew it. And I, I oh, also knew that. I know it's making me emotional. <laughs> I just want to hug you both. You just like, you can feel, honestly, across this screen, I can feel how much love and respect you have for each other. It's just amazing. You've got an amazing bond. You can feel it. Oh, I'm so glad because I believe we do. And I think it gets better all the time. And, and we have sobriety <laughs> to thank for that. And that's really all either of us wanted anyway, our bonds with people that we love and especially our children, my children and my husband. And, and um, it's so important. Um, and to watch, I mean, I went through it myself, but to watch your son my son, my baby, that little boy, my firstborn, go through so much struggle and see that drugs caused um, an, an escape. Well, that was an effect, but also caused um, him to lose his passion. He was a good athlete. He was an amazing little snowboarder. Um, and he just really lost interest in all the things that he loved. 
and his love became drugs. And that's what happened happens to all of us that are in addiction. And, um, and that was really hard to see. That was really tough to see. Um, and for him, obviously tough to live through and love and difficult to be. Um, and, you know, the book will reveal and Tommy can, can tell you too, that he did end up in sobriety, getting back into snowboarding, which he loved. And he, he was oh, a racer wow. and a national national champion and, and did world alpines all over Europe. And he is amazing. Um, he got his life back, the life that he was always meant to have. He got it back and it was through his, his hard work. And, uh, and we did, we supported him in sobriety. There was a point, you know, when you have your kids living with you and, and, and allegedly going to college and, and working, um, <laughs> that uh, you don't want to enable the behavior. And and that is a big thing, the codependency, because we want to protect our kids so much and we want to solve their problems. We just want to take care of it for them. Make it go away. I couldn't make it go away. I, I just couldn't make it go away. And um, I couldn't I couldn't do it for them. Well, I mean, there were... What did you do, Laura? You know, b- before we'd made this decision to get sober, how how did you deal with that when you knew it was like going out and taking drugs and drinking and all these things? How did you kind of not enable it? Um, well, I think I did enable it because I, I would have these nagging conversations with him. I would go in his room and, and look for things like I found pills and I'd find, you know, handles of liquor and Things like that, and those were all. So mad. I was so mad when you. Yeah, she been and got them. Yeah. Come, come I'd home flush after the a long pills night. Down the t- yeah, sorry, Tom. Go ahead. I'd come home after a long night just to find the drawer empty. Oh, and, oh. It was oh, to no. me. I did thought I was doing the right thing, but I yeah. instead I was really contributing to the behavior because I wasn't defining the boundaries. Yeah. You know, I mean, you could say, if you do that again, I mean, wh- then what? And, yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that is it. What is the then what anyway? Yeah, you know, like, what, what do you think you should have done? <laughs> um, I think you did exactly what I think you did exactly what you should have done. I think he's, you didn't couldn't have done any more. I mean, look, he's sat here sober. He's living his best life right. and he's followed your example. I think I think you're amazing as a mother and son. <laughs> Well, I think that I did the very best I could with trying to, at the time, trying to what I thought was help him. And fortunately, being sober, I had the right guidance from a therapist to understand their times to stand back. But to answer your question, um, I will tell you that that I had very many sleepless nights. There are a lot of times, if, if not many, many times that I didn't think Tommy was going out. I thought it, he was just staying home and having friends over. And a lot of times I'd fall asleep and he would go out if I fell asleep, but I didn't hear him. He would go out at midnight. He would leave the house to go out. Yeah. And so I found out a lot. I mean, I'm not naive, but I was naive about some things. Because, well, it was more, more of a blind eye, a choice of you know turning a blind eye to it because I'm like, he couldn't possibly be putting his life at risk till three and four in the morning. Well, that's exactly what he was doing. Yeah. So I had a lot of unrest. There was a lot of, and, and how did I maintain my sobriety? I had to, if I hadn't maintained my sobriety, our family, you know, me, it, it just, it, it just, it wouldn't have helped Tommy. It wouldn't have helped me. And um, I just stayed committed to my program of recovery and and that was really important. And my husband's a very religious person. He's very private about it. But uh, for him, his solution was to pray, go to church, and 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 those solu- are solutions. And uh, it just it was heartbreaking. I, I had three other. We have three other children that needed my attention. I had you know he has a younger brother that's nine years younger than he is, and um, they all witnessed. Yeah. everything that was going on and they they took it all in and um i think based on on especially tommy's accident they they said that's it if i've ever smoked weed or if i've ever done anything that is no longer going to be in my 
you know, in my world. And, and, and it isn't for, for any of them. Oh, um, so they learned a great deal. Well done. You taught the rest of them a good lesson. But, you know, we say this to our members quite a lot, that no matter how, and I'm speaking to you really here, Laura, but guess both of you, no matter how tough life gets, and, and it will have been majorly tough for you, at least at one big point where you're getting sober or remaining sober, you're trying to help Tom, Alcohol will never ever make anything better in the long run. It's like, and we say this all the time. Yeah, just a you perfect dual example of that. That at any one time, no doubt, one of you or both of you could have given in and said, "This is too hard." But it's absolutely just not worth it. and every with everything that you go through, because life happens. Whether somebody close to you dies, or somebody's sick, or you know, so many things are out of your control in life. And if not most everything, and um, you know, if I if you can get through the first challenge and you realize, wow, I absolutely got into a solution, and I feel so much better because I stayed sober. I mean, all hell breaks loose if you were to go back and use again. Your life would be ten times worse than the way you remembered it using, because it's a, a progressive fatal disease it's a disease of more and by the time you, you one can relapse it's only a question of a few weeks before you're in it thicker than you've ever been and heavier than you've ever been before and we know this i also know that as a um recovering alcoholic in the beginning there are times i would romanticize about yeah. drinking Oh, look, you know, you go to Paris or you go to a city and people are sitting in cafes drinking and smoking. I'm like, oh, that cigarette looks so good. Oh, a glass of wine looks so good. And you romanticize that those times that you were drinking were elegant. Well, they weren't. They were trash. They were terrible. But you take it. I took it full circle. Somebody taught me that a long time ago. You take it full circle and you think um, in a span of 30 seconds, I can make that picture look like a car accident. I could make it look like my kids don't talk to me anymore. My husband wants to leave me. I could make it because that's exactly what would happen. Play it forwards. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and yeah, so agree. that's enough to scare me. And, and being afraid of that is okay. Um, I just, and then um, with Tommy, you know, I just, I, I just, I pray myself. I pray for myself. I pray for my children. I, but I think his journey um, getting sober and staying sober and what he's done in his life since then is an act of huge courage. Getting sober at 21 years old and staying sober yeah. is far different from being 48. Now I'm 61. Yeah. It's far different. Yeah, it is. Absolutely. But you've got a long life ahead of you, at least. And can I just ask, sorry, look, Lisa. You can. I want to ask about the painkillers and it'll go off no, topic. That's old, no, you lost the weight. I'm sorry, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> what I want to ask is because there was like a number of different things that you kind of take. Did you just stop everything at once? Was there anything in particular that you struggled with most? In terms of what I used? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I would say I used three main things all the time. It would be, um, well, I'd say two for certain. Uh, cocaine and, uh, and painkillers. And when I could get them, um, any kind of, of Xanax or Valium or anything like that. Um, but I loved to mix the cocaine and, and the painkillers. Yeah. Um, in like the beginning of the day, I would do like just painkillers. And then afterwards I would, I would start mixing them. Um, so that was my, <laughs> that was my get down. Um, but when I, you know, I, I stopped it all at, at once when I got, when yeah. I got clean, it was all of it. I didn't it's do, I didn't do any Suboxone or, or any of that. I didn't do any of like the stuff that you wean off of. Yeah. yeah. I just it's interesting because a lot of people like sometimes go in maybe rehab to come off say cocaine or alcohol but then continue to smoke weed oh yeah yeah no I'm 
<laughs> yeah, so it's all it's all gone. All gone. It, it is relevant then now. The the question that I was going to ask, kind of, but I still want to ask it if that's all right. And, and tell me to mind my own business if it's too much. <laughs> is it like? Obviously, taking painkillers is something that's, you know, happened through life. If you have an accident, you're going to need to take, potentially need to take something or whatever. Is that something now that keeps you at high risk that you have to just accept that I can never have these things? And I guess what you said earlier about the Valium, that's kind of like, ah, this knocks me out. This takes away any worry. That's kind of where the trigger was. Yeah. 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 100%. Uh, my friends, some of my friends call me uh, crazy Tom for uh, the way I handle that, um, those situations that you're talking about. Because um, I have been um, hospitalized. I mean, I've been in the ER, um, I've had surgeries, um, and I just don't do it. I just don't take the pain meds. Oh my god! Because you're high risk sport as well. That's what made me think. Yeah, if you're a snowboarder and you ride a motorcycle, at some point you're going to get a cut knee. <laughs> at least, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I had. Um, I don't know if, if if you guys have experienced this, but uh, I had a couple of kidney stones, uh, and didn't. I was refusing to, to take anything in the ER in the emergency room and they would call me crazy, but I was like, I just can't, oh, bless. you know, can't do it. I've had, um, a couple surgeries and just refused it. And, um, it's definitely not fun, you know, but, um, you know, they they give me a high dose of, of Tylenol or whatever it is that, whatever it is that they can give me, um, and yeah, it, it sucks in the moment. It's really brutal and um, it's not fun at all. I usually can't talk to anybody when I'm in that, yeah. that much pain. I'm just leave me alone and let me just. Yeah, I get that. I'd be like that. Um, but I'm terrified of going back to that place again. I just can't, can't do it. And you, and you both had that in common. You know, you've both said we're afraid of ever going back. It's kind of a healthy fear because it keeps you held in the present and it mm-hmm. keeps you held in the on the right side of things. I, honestly, I think you're incredible, both of you. I think you've got an amazing relationship. I think you've got an incredible story. I can't wait to get stuck into the book, which I do have a copy of. I'm and scared of reading it. I'm not I, felt, I am. I'm, I am. I just don't know whether it might be too relatable and too like triggering. <laughs> I felt the. I, I can. You know. I felt really emotional at times there, and we've only heard. I suspect the tip of the iceberg. There, there's a lot yeah. more detail in the book, and I I've read some of the reviews, so I know there's more detail in the book because <laughs> the reviews are amazing. Um, yeah. I, I, I've not, I can't even tell you what I want to say. I just think you're incredible, both of you. It's amazing. There's some good. There's some good reviews. There's also some pretty bad reviews. Too. Oh, there's some. Oh, we don't worry about think, them. We don't worry about them. You know, I you've made know. it when you've got bad reviews. That's what we always say. As soon as we start getting trolled, we've made it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was reading them. You go ahead, Tom. I was reading. I went through actually recently, and I started reading all the reviews on uh, one of the websites, and I started reading just the bad ones. <laughs> and I, of course I'm not going to read the good ones I just want to see what the, what the mean people have to say um, and I thought to myself I said man I said wouldn't it be just so hard to be in that in fame yeah be famous yeah. you know, you walk out of your door and you forget to do your hair or something and instantly you're on social media getting lit up and I just you know so it's scary. also incredibly hard to be a troll and somebody who's mean about somebody else. I'd be really tempted to say, can I read your book, please, that you haven't written before you criticize well, mine? To your point, the first few reviews I had, which were obviously written by very young people. I mean, you can you can see their profiles, all right? So I know they're very, very young people. And uh and they have their they have their not not that I have anything against young people because there are a lot of good reviews from young people. But uh, the kinds of things that they said, some of them were actually very mean. Yeah. And I, I said, you know, look, this book is not for everybody. It yeah. really isn't. But if uh, and it's not a perfect book. All that we did was share our experience, our strength, our hope, uh, information about a relationship, um, 
We, you know, we didn't have a thousand page book where we could go into depth about absolutely every aspect of our addiction in life. But I think it's a, it's a general story about what we, what we went through. And I think, you know, it took us three years to write the book. And uh, the first, the first book that we had, it got to about four chapters. I, I, I hated it. I, I thought it was the worst <laughs> damn thing I'd ever read. It was terrible. It was so flowery and full of shit. And I, I finally said to Tommy, we, we're starting, we're tearing up, start over. So we started over. So that's and, what you could say to your trolls, like, you should have read the last one if you think. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> why do you, why don't you think about those clever things at the moment? God, I'm going to use that. So I think that readers, readers want to know more about my, my addiction. It, it, it was not easy getting sober, but it comes to a point, at least for me. And I think for Tommy, when enough is enough and you, you see that little glimmer of hope and light and, um, and, and the opportunity is there. And if you're ready and it's scary, you, you go for it. You just go for it because life is so much better on the other side. It is so much better. It really is, isn't it? Of that, it's just it, amazing. We said, your relationship." Well, yeah, yeah. We're, we're, so inspiring to see. And for me, as a mother of three teenagers, um, oh. it's more inspiring than I can can you say on here. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. and I'm like yeah. you. I've got two two teenagers, and one at ten years younger than the eldest one. So, so three as well. And I'm kind of thinking, oh, you know, you can see certain traits through. They must have seen what I was like. Lisa's kids must have seen what she was like. You know what I mean? There's that element of guilt no matter what you do. Yes. Isn't that the truth? Yeah. Yeah. It's self-inflicted and it doesn't do anything for you. You can't. I mean, you can't change it. You can't go back and undo it. All you can do is make the best of what you've got, lead by example, which you've done an incredible job of, and support as best you can. But You know what I think we should do, Lisa? We should get the book unraveled on our book club with Alex. Oh yeah, definitely. That's what we will do. We will ask, we will ask our book club leader to read your book in yeah. the June book club. If she's not got one lined up, but definitely this year. As well now, isn't it? So, it is on yeah. audible. Yeah. Lots yeah, of cameras. We'll definitely do that. And um, Tom, before we go, what would you say to somebody um, that was in your position a few years ago, before getting sober, if somebody come to you and was like, I've had enough of this shit, I feel a bit rubbish, what, what would your advice be? Well, if they came to me and, and they said, I've had enough for this, I'd say, well, um, I'll tell you exactly what, what, what I did. Yeah. So I'll tell you exactly what I did and what's been working for me. Say if and give them a little bit of my story and say if you can relate to any of that and think that that might work for you, then give it. Then then we should you know give that a shot. But it's it's hard. It's it's hard to talk to somebody that's currently struggling. I mean, it's not hard to talk to them. It's easy. I can talk to anybody. But um, if they're anything like me, I had to get to the point to where it was so bad that I had to make that decision myself and say, Nobody I need help. Said anything. Yeah. You know, and I think that's one of the things that I was going to say to, to Laura earlier is that I'm so grateful that she didn't step in and force me to do something earlier. Um, because I don't know if I would have gotten to the point, um, and to the lows that I did and yeah. able to, to make that decision. Cause I see a lot of, a lot of people that, um, that happens to, and they're in and out and in and out and in and out. And, um, I'm, I was, I'm grateful for that. So. Well, you were ready. You were ready. (laughs) Right. Sounds like he was born ready. He's like, you know what? Make fill me with a load of joy before I keep, I've got this phrase at the moment, filling me with joy, but what really filled me with joy was when you said like he was born happy and now he's living the life he was meant to live. Oh, I just like, I just want to hug. I want to hug you both. It's just oh, give you're, you a hug. A big give virtual hug. hug. You're amazing. You are amazing. <laughs> Will you hang on at the very end because we've just like two minutes with you after we finish recording? Oh, sure, certainly, right. certainly. But thank you both of you 
Honestly, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for coming on, both of you. Oh, thank, thank you, you so much. much. We'll put all the links as well to your book on the bio of this podcast. That sounds Perfect. great. Thank you. We appreciate it. Bye. Bye-bye.